talking about uh, the judgment of the nations. Um, we could have done like all these judgment songs, but are there? There aren't that many. They're not as much fun either. Um, but it's how the judgment takes place, really, that we're going to be talking about. How that connects to sheep and goats, the Chicago Cubs, and meeting basic human needs. All right. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for gathering us here today. We thank you for all the wonderful blessings. You have given to each of us. We just invite you here today to speak to us through your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So sheep and goats, right? They go way back in the Bible. The first family, we remember that Cain was a tiller of the soil. His brother Abel was the keeper of the flock. And so at this city, Ur, which is most likely uh, the place where the great patriarch Abraham was from, probably the same place. There's this excavation site it was the home of, uh, I guess this is somewhere in like the 1920s, they call it the Mound of Pitch. And so what they found was that there was this excavation site near the city center, there was a dump. And at the dump is where they buried, uh, where the graveyard was located. And one of the graves above the right shoulder of a man was this thing, right? It's called the Standard of Ur. And so on it, there were two panels. One was this peace panel, one was a war panel. And so on the peace panel, what you see is a bunch of animals, right? Um, it's hard to tell the difference, but they're actually sheep and goats um, that are depicted on this uh, ancient panel. And so flocks in the Bible could be comprised of either sheep or goats. And so the standard of Ur, this actually predates Abraham. This thing's really, really old. And what it shows is that sheep and goats were driven together, right? And so in Hebrew life, both sheep and goats, their sources of food, milk, and fabric, they're also, they were a sign of wealth. More sheep and goats, the wealthier the family. And so today, we hopefully we catch this by now, today is actually called Christ the King Sunday, and so it's the final week of the Christian year. So the new Christian year begins next Sunday with the first Sunday of Advent, right? So it's our, the Christian calendar is a little bit different, um, and so we're starting over again next week. And so today is like one of those transition days where you actually stop and pause, and you kind of give thanks and praise for the sovereignty of Jesus uh, who is the king over all of creation. And so in today's passage, what the king is, you're going to see, the king is going to do, the king is going to separate people one from another. As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So here it is, Matthew 25, 31 to 46. And the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him. Then he will sit at the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited. Then the righteous will answer, and Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick, or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of these, the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire. For the devil and his angels, for I was hungry, and you gave me no food. 
I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away to eternal punishment and the righteous to eternal life. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to Now, I don't know. Maybe it's just me that thinks about these things. I always, the first thing I thought of was the goats. Like, why are the goats the ones that are rejected on Judgment Day and the sheep stand for the sake? Like, what's wrong with the goats? Uh, like, what did they ever do? You know, so actually, I looked into this because this is the way my mind works. And so, like, I came up with three answers, right? And two of them are just, like, I think totally ridiculous. And the third one makes some sense, right? So there are actually people that say uh, that the reason the goats are rejected is because they have an unruly nature, right? I'm like, who doesn't? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then this one's even better, right? The second one I found was that goats are really lustful and they smell bad. <laughs> What's that? Sort of sheep. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Like, anyone ever smelled sheep and a male animal that's not lustful? <laughs> I mean, this is ridiculous. <laughs> right? And so it's usually the simple answer that's probably the one that's the most true. Right? Um, and so what I looked at this, the standard of error, which we showed up there earlier, has the sheep and goats, they're mingled together in the same herd. Right? And so what, what Jesus is saying is the righteous and the unrighteous, they mingle together in the same world. So we look at him and we're like, man, if you look at the standard of it's hard to tell the difference between the sheep and the goats on that thing. Like, I, I didn't know which ones were which. Um, but here's the thing, the Palestinian shepherd, they probably most likely separated the sheep and the goats at night and they put them in their own enclosures. Um, and so, in other words, the Palestinian shepherds, they know the difference between the sheep and the goats. They can, they can tell the difference. And so the shepherd king, this, this is where we're going here, right? The shepherd king, Jesus, Jesus knows the difference between the sheep and the goats. Jesus isn't fooled. And so here's, it made me think of, with, with identical twin daughters, right? When people can't, people, most people can't tell the difference between the two of them. They just 50-50 guess and flip a coin. They just say, like, you know what? I'm just going to guess, grin. Um, and they got a 50-50 shot. Um, you know, and then I was thinking about, you know, Katie and I, we never, we always know, since day one, since the second they were born, we know the difference. We're not, we're not fooled by that, where some other people uh, might be. And so even when the sheep and the goats look a lot alike, Jesus says, like Jesus the shepherd can spot the differences a mile away. This is where we're going with this. When we may have a hard time distinguishing between who are the sheep and who are the goats, it's not for us to know, but it, Jesus knows. And Jesus isn't fooled. And so this is the final teaching in Jesus' public ministry. It's like the teaching that Jesus seems to want to leave us with. He wants to have these words like permanently etched in our mind. And so the three preceding parables, they're all these metaphorical parables about Jesus' eventual return and how we're supposed to prepare for that return. This text is not metaphor. It's not a parable. It's actually future history. So Jesus is saying this is what is going to happen. And so joining all the angels from the heavenly realm will be all the nations, it said. And what Jesus means by that is just that. Absolutely every person who's ever walked the face of the earth. And so I was looking into this and I was like, oh, this would be kind of fun. What, what are the largest gatherings the world has ever seen? 
Last year's World Series, the Chicago Cubs Parade, was the fifth largest gathering of humans on the planet ever, with uh, five million people in attendance. And then I was like, all right, what's the largest one? And the largest one took place in uh, 2013 in India. 30 million Hindu pilgrims came together to partake in this ritual bath called uh, the Festival of Kumelo, right? 30 million people. And like, those are two pretty big numbers. I think that was the seventh largest gathering in the first. The Cubs were seven. And so I'm like, well, there's seven billion people today, estimated 107 billion people that have ever walked the face of the earth. And Jesus just simple stuff. It's like Jesus is like, every single one of those 107 billion people that have ever walked the face of the earth will be gathered together at the throne of Jesus. It'll be the greatest gathering of humanity. Nothing's even going to come close. And it kind of got me thinking. It's like fascinating to me how we divide ourselves and we subdivide ourselves and we divide over everything possible and imaginable. Every division and subdivision, by the time we get to this text, every one of them will be gone and only one of them will remain. Sheep and goats, the righteous and the unrighteous. Those who will enjoy God's kingdom forever and those who won't. And the key question here is, what's the difference? If Jesus can recognize the difference between the sheep and the goats, what is the difference? What are the distinguishing characteristics? What did the righteous do that the wicked did not? And this one, here it is. These are the things that Jesus says. The righteous who will inherit the kingdom of God, they fed the king when the king was hungry. They gave him water when he was thirsty. They welcomed him when he was a stranger. They clothed the king when he was naked. They took care of him when he was sick, and they visited him when he was in prison. This is exactly what Jesus said. Now, when you look at these things right here, what do you notice? Anything. Anything stand out to you when you look at these things? How complicated are they? They're not very complicated, are they? They're actually really, really basic simple things. And so there's this old guy with a good name, John Chrysostom, late 300s. He's the one who kind of first looked at these things and he said, that it's not the, the big miracles that are happening here, it's just these small ministries. It's so basic, so simple, real, earthy, tangible, concrete. These are the things I think of when I look at that list. And so our greatest living Presbyterian theologian, a guy named Dale Bruner, he's actually a retired Whitworth professor, lives in Hollywood, he actually, when I looked at this, he says that, you know, it's these little ministries in meeting basic human needs where the miracle of eternal salvation takes place. And we see this right here in Jesus' words. They're not big, flashy things. They're the most basic things in the world that human beings need to flourish. And so when those righteous sheep, they're actually standing in front of the king, and this is amazing, right? These are the, the sheep, these are the good ones. And they are standing in front of the king and they're like, when did we ever do these things? You know? Like basically looking at Jesus going, I don't remember seeing you anywhere. You know? When did we ever do this? We just, we don't remember doing this. And the king says, every time that you did one of these acts of mercy, shown to the least of these, and this is important, who are members of my family, Jesus says, members of my family, you did it unto me. And so this is the biggest part, right, is an act of love that meets basic human needs to another person is an act of love done to Jesus himself. This is exactly what he is saying. 
And so one of the most profound discoveries in all of Scripture is that where, is where Jesus is to be found. He's to be found among the least valuable, the least lovable, the least desirable, the people that others look at and say these are like disposable people. Back in Jesus' day, people that lacked in food or shelter or freedom, they're lacking in social worth, right? It's like, how much progress have we really made in the last 2,000 years? Those people today are still the lowest people in our society in social status and social worth. So I found out anyone like Leo Tolstoy, any like literature people in here, he wrote a really cool story. It's one of my favorites. In 1885, and it was about this guy named Martin the Cobbler. Right? And so it was called, Where Love Is, There Is God. And here's the story. Martin was this honest and skilled cobbler. He had a shop that was in his basement. His basement had one window. And so through the window, he could only see the feet of people walking by on the sidewalk. So he came to recognize every person by their shoes, which is kind of cool. Um, his life was marred by one tragedy after another. This guy really, really suffered. And, you know, Tolstoy writes about his wife and his children all dying in this intense grief that this poor guy has. And in his grief, he actually denies God. He questions why would God allow such tragedies to befall him. And so one day, he's about his work, and a missionary visits him, and Martin shares his story with the missionary, and the missionary basically told him, like, look, you, you've got to stop denying God. You've got to live for God and not deny him, because it's God's will that's the ultimate deciding factor on human beings' lives. And Martin was really moved by the words of the missionary. And so he started to read his Bible, that says, on the holidays. I love that. <laughs> so, you know, once or twice a year, he breaks out his Bible, he starts reading it. Um, which is kind of typical, right? But pretty soon he started to begin reading it on a daily basis. But even with all of his study of the scriptures, he kind of comes to this thought one day and he realizes that he really wasn't living his life for God because he wasn't helping other people. He was reading the, the word, but he wasn't doing anything. His life wasn't transformed. He wasn't changed. And when he had that kind of revelation that night as he slept, he woke up convinced that God had spoken to him in a dream, saying that he was going to visit him the next day. So he's super skeptical, and he wakes up, and he sits at his cobbler's desk, and he's looking out the window, and he's watching all the shoes walk by, and he's waiting and watching all day for God to show up. And while he's watching his neighbor shoveling snow, and so he invites the guy to come in and have a meal and a drink. And later he's working at his desk, and a young woman walks by with a baby in the winter, and they're not properly dressed, and he invites him in, and he gives them warm winter clothing. And finally, he sees a thief robbing an old, uh, old woman outside. He runs outside, he settles their dispute. Both of them are happy, and they walk on their way. And he goes to bed, and he's really disappointed. He's wondering, like, why God that never showed up? And that night, three figures arrive in his home, the same three people that he helped that day. And they said to him that when he helped them, he helped Jesus. It was then that Martin kind of realizes that God had indeed visited him on that day. And Tolstoy says exactly what he's, he's talking about this. That story is about this passage. Now the goats, they're separated out to the king's left. They're sent away. They're not goats because they're unruly. They're not goats because they smell bad or they're too lustful. The goats simply refused to love. It's that simple. They did not show mercy. They never welcomed Jesus. They never ministered to Jesus. And when they come before the king, the king looks at them, and this is 
critical. The king does not recognize them. He doesn't know who they are. He doesn't see them as one of his own. And so there's this reservation made for the goats. Fire is metaphorical, but it's a metaphor for something unpleasant, right? And so the surprising part of this text, in my mind, isn't the fact that the king sits on the throne with merciful. This is something that we talk about every Sunday. We celebrate this every Sunday. The surprise in this text is where we meet the king. This is the surprise. We don't meet the king among the healthy and the wealthy. We meet the king among the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, and the imprisoned. This is what Jesus says. It's like, if you want to meet me, this is where you're going to find me. And so I remember, I've shared this story once before, a couple years ago. Some may be familiar with some people, but I kind of remember the day that I learned this teaching. The day that it kind of became really real to me. It was years ago, Katie, you and I were in Tempe, Arizona. We were watching a football game. I think my dad was with us. We were walking along the streets. We had some time to hang out and see the sights. And we're walking, and we come to this McDonald's, and at the street corner, there was a man in a wheelchair. And uh, to say the man was disheveled uh, would be the understatement of the year. It's probably 100 and some degrees outside. He's in no shoes, no socks, no shirt, just in a pair of shorts in his wheelchair. And he was covered from head to toe with open, leaking sores. Okay, like, I've never, to this day, I've never seen anything like this man before in my life. And he says he's hungry, and he likes a McDonald's, and he's sitting out in front of McDonald's. And I admit, I love McDonald's. Um, so I'm like, all right, perfect, you know, we'll go get some food, and I'll bring you something out. And I took his order, we went in, got some food, um, and we came out, and when I got to the corner, I handed him his, his bag of food. And I was like, you know what, I just felt like I needed to stay and talk to this guy and hang out. So I'm like, all right, I'll just, I gotta eat too. So I took out my burger and we started eating together. Um, we had lunch for a few minutes and I was about to be on my way. And like I would do with anybody else, I reached out to take his hand, shake his hand. And when I did that, I'm like, look, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I looked at those open leaking sores and I was concerned. But I did it anyway. I did what I would do with anybody. And as it happened, it was the weirdest thing took place when I put my hand out. He refused to let go of it. He had like a death grip on my hand. He was crying. And he said that I was the first person in many, many years that ever touched him. He said no one's ever touched him when he looked like that. And so he just wouldn't let go of me. It was like, it was kind of strange, you know, like, let go of my hand. Like, it took a couple minutes to get my blood back in there, you know? Um, and this encounter, you know, it actually, it changed me. It changed, I don't think there's any way that it couldn't have. In that moment and afterwards, I was walking back down the street and it was like, man, I think I might have just, I might have just met Jesus right now. You know, I mean, like, I actually got to shake his hand. That's kind of cool. If I was smarter, I might have asked for an autograph, but I'm not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, the encounter, it, I think about him all the time. Um, some little piece of, it's like my heart broke on that day. You know, I was looking at this guy when I think about him. He was starving, but not for food, not for water or medical attention. He was also, he was just starving for humanity. He was starving to, for any kind of real human interaction, conversation, someone to touch him or see him and not look the other way. 
someone that would actually recognize his humanity, that might recognize too, like Jesus said, that this man is an important member of Jesus' family, right? And so ever since that encounter, I have a much more difficult time walking by people in need without stopping or talking or at least praying or giving something that meets their needs or appropriate, shaking somebody's hand. Um, and I can't help but wonder if it's in these encounters with these people that Jesus calls the least of these, Jesus' words, if we're not being given the opportunity to actually meet the king to minister to the king, to love the king. So we had Thanksgiving in Las Vegas uh, this year because Corinne had a basketball tournament. And so it was like our first Thanksgiving at a uh, casino buffet, <laughs> uh, which was unique. I can just say that I got my money's worth. <laughs> so Darcy, I'm like, Ken, like you, I'm still experiencing the buffet, I guess. Um, and we were walking around at night you know, and it just like happened. You're just overwhelming sadness, right? When you walk around the strip late at night, it's just absolutely amazing. And we, the last, like, we were almost back to our hotel, and the last guy that I saw, I haven't been able to get him out of my mind. A young guy in his twenties, probably like your age. He's got the dog. And he's a sound. He's just out like a light, and his puppy's curled up in his lap, and he's just, they're both just completely asleep. And like thousands of just drunk, loud people are walking by this guy. I couldn't help but think, like as I'm thinking about this passage, how many of those people just walked on by, never even noticed him. I wonder if anyone saw this guy as a member of Jesus' family. I don't know. The stuff that makes me think. Because I hear a lot of different messages about how we deal with people that Jesus calls the least of these. And the thing that surprises me is that oftentimes a lot of the stuff I hear actually just runs completely contrary to what Jesus said. And so what I'm really hoping for today is that we're just going to be willing to allow Jesus to speak and to allow these words of his, his voice, to drown out the competing voices that tell us how we're supposed to treat these people that Jesus calls the least of these who are members of his family. And as I thought about it, it's really, it's easy to point the finger. It's easy to say things like it's their own fault. It's easy to say, hey, they should have worked harder. Those are easy things. They make us feel better about ourselves to say things like, you know what, they're just getting what they deserve. But here's, here's what I want us to really think about. Those aren't the words of our king. Those are the words of some other people that I hear, but they're not the words of our king. The words of the king are simple, they're compassionate, they're gracious, they're straightforward. His words remind us that every encounter with a hurting person is an opportunity to minister to Jesus himself. That is, those are the words of the king. And this is why the church must be the champion of the poor, because it's among the poor and the suffering, among the least. This is where we meet the king, Jesus. And so let's pray that each of us will hear the king speak these words to us, his sheep. These are his words. He says, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the king prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We pray. Lord Jesus, king of 
all creation came over each of us. Thou were amazed by your compassion, by the wideness, the width of your embrace. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see people as you do and the courage to love them. For in loving them, we know that we're loving you. 